0: for lean blog audio i hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought something else to help you in your lean journey welcome to the lean blog podcast visit our website at
1: www.leanblog.org now here's your host mark graben
0: hi this is mark graben welcome to episode 237 of the podcast for january 4th 2015. my guest today is paul akers and we're talking about his new book lean health now i started the year with uh, an experiment um, of broadcasting this live through uh, google hangouts and youtube um, not all of it went well um, there are a lot of lessons learned and i've blogged about that if you go uh, to leanblog.org you'll see a post um, and i've linked to it if you go to leanblog.org 237 you can see the full video um, it includes uh, a few times when Paul's video cut out, we had to restart. Um, I've edited that out of the audio here. Um, but you know, if you want to see some of my other reflections in the blog post about uh, mistakes I made and some of the planning and execution of that live video, lessons learned, things like that. Uh, again, you can find a link to leanblog.org 237. Um, but again, the, the main message here is about Paul and uh, his new book. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm excited that it's the first of my podcast, maybe the last, to be broadcast live on YouTube. (laughs) My my incredibly patient guest, and uh, today is Paul Akers from FastCap in Washington State. Paul's been uh, a good friend of mine and, and a great part of the lean community. He was a guest previously in episode 133, where he talked about his first book, Two Second Lean, and he was also part of episode 122. Today we're talking about his new book just released called Lean Health. So Paul, let's uh, we'll try again. I'll turn it over to you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your background. No problem. So uh, the my story in a nutshell
1: is I'm a woodworker. 18 years ago I invented a product called the FastCap. Uh that product took off and really went crazy. Uh, three years into my manufacturing foray, if you will, I learned about the Toyota production system. I went to Japan. I learned from Toyota and through other companies that were implementing lean how to do it. I came back, got very passionate about it. Uh, what happened was we then became pretty good at doing lean. It took quite a while, about five years. We had a lot of people come into our facility, uh, very curious about how we were building this innovative culture that was so uh, fully engaged I wrote a book called Two Second Lean, and then uh, that book took off. Now it's in 11 languages. And so with the success that I've had with, fortunate the success I've had with lean, I said, well, you know what? There's one area of my life that is not so hot. It's my health. I was about 215 pounds, and I, I refer to myself as a little fat and sloppy, even though I was a very aggressive athletically, I had just climbed Kilimanjaro when I did this, and I would just done Everest Base Camp, and I did a lot of 14,000-foot mountains in a single day. So I'm not a slacker, but the bottom line is I was fat and sloppy. I don't know how else to put it. And I said to myself, you know, is there a way to apply lean principles to managing my health? Because my health was no different a process than anything else in my life. And so I began to do that, and over the course of the last year, I've been on a lean health journey, and I wrote a book. And that's what we're here to talk about today.
0: So you know in in the book, you talk a little bit about how you you came to be on this journey before the book ever um, was a thought in your mind. Right. Um, can, can you elaborate a little bit on you know what what were the circumstances what inspired you to i mean you've, you've lost a lot of weight right. you're, 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 you're saying're you're a lot healthier it's not just a, um, a, a cosmetic difference i I'm sure it has a big impact. Um, on your life. So, I mean, how what what inspired you to to start that fitness and weight loss journey?
1: Well, so what happened was I had just completed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, about 19,000 feet, and then went over to Nepal and did Everest Base Camp, 17,500. Almost died in a snowstorm there. It was a very bad snowstorm. And I had achieved a certain level of physical prowess at that point. I was still overweight, but Those were two hard mountains to accomplish. And I thought to myself, you know, I need to, uh, I I would like to capitalize on this advancement in my health that I have. And so I began to, uh, I downloaded a book called Eat, Sleep, Move by Tom Roth. And that book really stimulated me to think, hey, maybe I could do this. I started to lose weight. And over the course of the next six or seven months, my health really started to improve. Then I was invited to go to mercedes Benz. Uh, back, gosh, I don't know, that was three or four months ago. And I went to Mercedes-Benz, spent three days there with Alex and Paloma from Mercedes-Benz. And on our last night, we were having a beautiful dinner, in an outdoor cafe in Baden-Baden, Germany. And Paloma, who's from Brazil and has a beautiful Brazilian accent and is a beautiful woman as well, Alex's wife, she looked over at me and said, Paul, you should really write a book. And when are you going to write your next book, she said. And I, said, I looked at her like, you're, you're out of your mind. I'm traveling all over the world teaching people lean concepts, building lean cultures. I'm actually doing a documentary series with a famous producer from Hollywood right now. I don't have time to write a book. And she's a very powerful and persuasive woman. And she said, no, Paul, don't give me any excuses. You need to write the book. And I had no intention of writing the book at all. I had, just wasn't even on my mind. I'm just losing weight and feeling great and everything's fine. And, you know, I paused and I thought, man, maybe I should do it. And over the course of the next eight weeks, because of what Paloma said to me, I wrote the book in eight weeks. And we're, here we are talking about it. And we're launching it January 1st. So that's kind of the background on how the whole book came about and my journey came about.
0: So, let, you know, let's talk more about the journey. I'd like to come back later and talk more about the process for uh, bringing, you bringing the book and audiobook and everything to life. But, you know, for the audience here, I've got a, a hard Copy of the book here, and a boy right on the cover. Um, Paul, you talk about transparency. Uh, yeah, you know, putting uh, before, I guess, before, middle, and after right. pictures on the cover of uh, of the book. Uh, good for you. Um, but what? What? I mean, what, how would you summarize some of the results in terms of, boy, you know, how many pounds did you lose? And then, I mean, what what did you do? I mean, it's quite a right. quite a striking difference there, just over the course of two. It's years.
1: about fifty pounds in fifteen months. I'm 166 today. I started at 215, and uh, you know I'm in the best physical shape of my entire life. I say in the book, and I, I don't want to say this egotistically, but I could run circles around most 18 years old, 18 year olds. I do about 100 push-ups a day, 200 sit-ups a day. I run four miles. I, I mean, I'm I'm in really, really, really good shape. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. I feel uh, more confident than I've ever felt in my life. I kick myself that I spent 54 years of my life in marginal health, and then it took me 54 years to figure this out. But I'm so happy that I finally figured it out. And it is the greatest, probably the greatest journey I've ever made in my life because it's made such a profound difference in the way I think, the way I feel, and just everything about my life is dramatically better.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's great to see those results. I mean, what what did you – Do in terms of of eating and and fitness. I'm sure nobody starts. You know, I did some pushups this morning. I certainly didn't do a hundred pushups. You don't start with a hundred pushups. No, you don't. Um, I'm curious what what got you started. You know, who helped you realize in terms of 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 eating and fitness what you needed to do. Who helped you? What what did you do? I know you share a lot of this uh, freely in the book. Absolutely. So
1: the the book is the story of the last 12 months of my life and exactly what happened. So it all started again when I came off of Everest Base Camp. I got to the bottom of the mountain and I turned on my phone to download my emails. I got an email from Audible saying you should listen to this book, Eat, uh, Sleep, Move or Move, Sleep, Eat. I can't quite remember, but Tom Roth, you can look it up. It's a very famous book. And basically what Tom said in the book was very simple. He said, stop eating processed foods Stop eating processed foods and start eating fruits and vegetables, you know, things that are high quality. Stop opening a package. So I went to Thailand to recover for two weeks from this trip to Everest because it was so difficult and I was so cold. It was just frigid there. And during the course of two weeks, I listened to the book and I stopped eating processed foods. I focused on fruits and vegetables in the morning. Uh, I didn't open yogurt packages to eat yogurt. I didn't do anything. If it was a fruit, a vegetable, you know, an egg, a piece of fish, chicken, nuts, I would eat it. But if it was anything else, I would not touch it. So that was one, Tom said. The next thing he said is you need to move 10,000 steps a day. I never thought about what 10,000 steps a day was. I, I'm active. So I started measuring with the accelerometer of my phone what 10,000 steps were. It turned out 10,000 steps was a lot. And then I really wasn't doing 10,000 steps as active as I was. So then I started walking on the beach, walking, 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 just going crazy, making sure I met the parameters that Tom suggested, 10,000 steps a day, focus on fruits and vegetables, non-processed foods. Well, lo and behold, within a week or two, I'd lost five, six, seven pounds. And by the time I got home, people were saying to me, man, you look really good. You look skinny. You're looking skinny. I'm going, wow, that felt good. Nobody's ever said to me, Mark, I look skinny because I'm not a skinny guy. I'm a big I, I describe myself as a big Colorado form, farm boy, you know? I'm a tough guy, you don't know, mess with me and 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 so forth. But, you know, to hear someone say you look skinny is crazy. So, I focused on those things and then as I went through my journey I began to refine that process. I worked with a trainer, uh, Doug, and he was uh, really help. He really helped me a lot understand the idea of getting infusing vegetables and fruit into your diet early in the morning through making green smoothies. So I started putting spinach and broccoli and apples and blueberries and a banana into my smoothie every day. And so before I even started the day, I'd already intake. I already had intaken in a lot of. Uh, vegetables with broccoli and things like that and I just kept losing weight and I kept feeling better and and the next thing you know man I'm ripped I don't know it wasn't quite that simple it took probably about eight months before I really started looking awesome but uh and you know that's my perspective but compared to what I looked like before I looked awesome so uh that's basically what I did I quit opening packages
0: Yeah, so, you know, getting rid of the processed foods, I mean, from what I've learned about nutrition, there's a a lot of sodium and sugar in processed foods, among other problems with processed foods. Uh, Fruits and vegetables, um, great, great advice. Um, What what about uh, meat and protein? What, What are you... Yeah, why so did you change your eating habits that way? My primary diet
1: for meat, I'm not a vegetarian at all, is fish. I eat salmon every night, tilapia every night, you know, halibut every night. We're always eating fish all the time. We eat some chicken. We prefer fish. It's a little cleaner, a little less processed, if you will, right? And so that's my choice. First, I've eaten beef probably about three or four times. I love beef, but I ate beef three or four times in the last year or so. Very seldom do I eat it. Not because it's bad for you, because honestly, I just don't feel good when I eat it. There's actually a a discernible difference between when I eat beef as opposed to when I eat fish. I don't have anything against the beef industry or anything. I just don't eat it because I feel great when I eat fish. I feel a lot better, so I don't have any problem with beef. I'm not against the meat industry or anything like that. I, just, I used to eat it all the time, and I think it had a lot to do with why I got so heavy, to be honest with you. But when I eat fish, I feel great. So I just made a decision, a conscious, intellectual, thoughtful decision that if I feel better and I look better and my body performs better on fish and chicken, I'm going to focus on fish and chicken, and I'm going to make beef an exception rather than the rule.
0: Mm-hmm. No, one thing that was interesting. Maybe we can explore um, this idea you talk about in the book, making this sort of intentional decision, um, this mindset about certain um, foods. I'll tell you, about four years ago, um, I I I think in college converted to being a a diet soda drinker, Diet Coke. I'm in Texas. Diet Dr Pepper is sort of the you know the right the most popular drink here it seems and you know i don't know what it was it was it, it was an accumulation of maybe different news reports about the effects of of diet soda in different ways and i just told myself i just say you know i'm i'm not doing i'm not doing that anymore right and it was it was it was a conscious decision and i you know i guess you know i'm not you know soda diet soda wasn't as big a part of my life as it is i think you know for some people i know who are drinking Uh, diet Cokes from morning until night. I, you know, but but still, I mean, I noticed how I I just sort of sort of create this mental space that says that is not something I'm going to put in my body. Right. Um, And, and it's helped me really stick to that habit. Now I've tried to think about, you know, kind of other, you know, kind of bad habits about uh, you know, food choices or, or portions. How do I create a similar mental space to just sort of tell myself, okay, from from here on out I'm not going to go back for seconds at a family meal or I'm going to put more vegetables right. in my plate. Can you can you talk about maybe as you've coached or talked to other people who've read your been reading your book here how, how do you help people create that sort of mental strength? Right. Well, there are
1: just two things, Mark, there. Number one, I realized, you know, I have a lot of respect for humanity and mankind, if you will, and I realized that this body that you're looking at right now is one of the most sophisticated creations of all time. If I, you know, I'm an inventor, I develop products all the time. If, if I said to my my engineering team, "Hey, go invent the human body," it would it wouldn't happen, right? It's it's the most magical mystical creation ever, right? And so, we have all been given this. You've been given this, I've been given this this incredible body. I came to the realization this is like a ferrari i've been given this amazing body And I'm not taking care of it. I'm not treating it like a Ferrari. If I had a Ferrari that was a 250 or quarter million dollar or a half a million dollar car, I'd be out there polishing it and doing the best things to it and making sure everything was perfect and the best mechanic. But yet I have a body that's worth billions of dollars and I treat it like crap. I don't know how else to put it. And all of a sudden it came to me. I said, what am I doing? I mean, I've been given this incredible gift. This is the way I experience life. Everything about life is done through this body right here. And I treat it like crap. And all of a sudden it came to me. I go, I'm never gonna do that again. I'm gonna start eating only healthy foods and start treating this like a Ferrari, like a cherished, like the cherished thing that it is. And so that was the first transformation. Then as I applied lean thinking to it, I thought, you know, really this mind here, is what makes everything sets in motion. And this thing below the shoulders is the customer. And this thing right here is not delivering very good results to the customer. It's doing all kinds of dilatorious. It's you know creating all kinds of dilatorious effects with the things I eat. So why not start treating my body, the customer, the most important customer in my life? I'm a lean guy. That's what we do. We're here to add value, right? Mm-hmm. Why not start treating my most important customer with respect? So these are the transformations I went through mentally to get yeah. to where I am.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like what you did was creating a, a broader, you know, kind of mental model where I was kind of, you know, focusing on a specific part of what I was consuming, and I guess mm-hmm. you you kind of created a, a more general mindset, a mantra of sorts, I guess, to help you evaluate right. not just diet soda but but other you know other other things you know you know water okay water right. good choice right you're not gonna put water in the gas tank of a ferrari but you got it you know water is a uh, i think a, a good choice you're uh, going to
1: put the proper fuels in the ferrari you're going to put the perfect fuels in the ferrari because you value it right so you're not going to put you're going to put cheap gas in it you're going to make sure you put the premium gas in, and the best quality from the guest best gas station that has the less additives in it that you're going to make it perform well I mean, I have a high-performance car. I don't have a Ferrari, but I have one equal to it. And, uh, you know, I'm very careful about what I put in that car. I don't mess around with it.
0: Yeah. So I want to explore a little bit more of what you were saying in terms of, you know, lean philosophy, lean approach. You've already brought up the idea of, you know, treating your body as a customer. I guess, you know, in the lean philosophy, we talk about having respect for people. That includes… Respect for customers. So, I guess in this context, having respect uh, for, for your own body and your own health. I mean, what, what are the other elements or ideas that you borrowed from general lean practice? Because again, I'll hold up the book for right. folks. You know, this book, Lean Health, what, what makes it lean as opposed to right. just being good health or better health?
1: Well, if you've ever heard me speak before, I say, you know, lean is so simple. All it is is taking everything in our life and understanding that everything we do from brushing our teeth to collecting our car keys, how we answer our emails and realizing everything's a process. So if everything's a process, how we manufacture is a process, how you manage the podcast is a process. Everything we do is a process. So the way we manage our health is a process. So I said, how do we create a more refined and effective process to deliver greater value to the customer, our body? So I started to apply lean principles and refine the process. So some of the things I did is I identified the eight wastes, right? Because you've heard me speak before. I always say, really, you just need to be able to see the eight ways. So the first waste that most people experience in the health regime, if you will, is if you walk into any grocery store or you walk into Costco or anywhere else, you look around and I don't want to be mean here, but I'm just going to be honest. Most people are fat. 95% of the people out there are fat. Okay. And I was one of them. And the reason they're fat is because of what they're buying. Look, look at their grocery carts. You'll start seeing it's all processed food. Mm-hmm. There are very few people that focus on fruits and vegetables. You know, when I go to Costco, when I go to the grocery store, it's all fruits and vegetables. There are any packaged things. We don't buy packaged things because they're terrible, mm-hmm. right? So that's one. But now let's look at the eight wastes. So first of all, we overproduce. That's the first waste in my mind. We, over, we make too much food for dinner. Then we take our fork and we transport it to our mouth. That's the second wave. Then we put an inventory around our bellies, right? And then that creates uh, health defects. So now we have defects, we start taking drugs, and we start taking all these things to combat the fact we we have too much inventory, we're too fat, our blood blood pressure's up, our cholesterol's off. We, We take so many stupid things, when all we have to do is attack the source of the whole problem, right? And then we have to overprocess it by all these drugs. And you know, it's just crazy. And then the customer's waiting, our body's waiting to finally sometime in the course of human history to have an effective life that's uh, exceptional and health-wise, and we waste our potential. You know, those are kind of the quick little synopsis of the eight ways, how they apply to health. So I said, gosh, look at it, it's all right there in front of us. It's so basic, it's unbelievable. So then I started realizing, look, at a, a great process. A lot of diets say, oh, well, you could have a cheat day. I know I, I watched Dr. Oz this morning. He says you should have one day off. I'm going, would, would I put, I want to say the cuss word, would I put crappy gas in my, in my Ferrari one day a week? The answer is hell no. That would be the stupidest thing in the world. So I realized the correct process is to not create a defect at any point in the process of intaking quality food Mm -hmm. so i never eat bad food now here's the cool thing i'm never tempted to eat bad food because i have created this powerful mental picture in my mind that that bad food destroyed my life for 54 years and i'm not going to do that anymore right so that stuff is evil in my mind Mm -hmm. and the good food is golden so I don't have any temptation to to eat cake or anything. You take, I say, you could take eight people and wrestle me down on the floor and try to force a piece of cake in my mouth. I would never eat it. I have no desire, zero, because I've made a clear association with what is a defect and what is high quality. And so, uh, I mean, a six sigma guy would never introduce defects into the process, would they, Mark? That would be insane, wouldn't it? Right. So yeah, why, ag- why, why, from a health standpoint, are we inter- introducing defects into the process?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, know, you seem happy, more beyond happy with uh, with your choices here, as opposed to feeling deprived. You know, and, yeah. and I think again, you're kind of clearly this is not sponsored by um, Diet Coke. I've, I've got that similar mindset, where, like you said, I'm I'm not tempted uh, by that, but I still get tempted by cookies, brownies, sure. ice cream. Um, that that one too many glass of wine. I mean, you know, so, um, you know, I guess I've proven to myself that it's, it's possible to sort of create a mindset around, okay, you know, I'm going to draw boundaries and say, okay, no, you know, I'm not, not going to, um, to do those things. And I, you know, I guess in, in the spirit of lean experimenting, trying and seeing, well, you know, do I feel better? Do I sleep better? Do I have more energy? Do I mean, you know, I guess I, you know, it's an experiment worth trying in, yeah. in different ways. And yeah. is that what you're seeing with people who have read your book? I know you're, you're starting to uh, collect some stories. Uh, people we know who have read your book, they've been uh, really touched by it, they're starting to lose weight. What kind of feedback are, are you getting from people about not just you know results they're getting, but how they're feeling about this, this different approach? It's crazy. I mean, it's been
1: unprecedented. The success rate is like 99.9%. Everyone that's doing it that I know is just like, this is crazy because the difference between this, if you will, and a diet is it fundamentally changes the way you think about food. Food is for the purpose of nourishing your body and taking care of your Ferrari. And the bad food is your enemy. And it's really just that simple. And because you've drawn those clear distinctions, the process is totally clear. It's not ambiguous, it's not vague it's very clearly defined. People are having fantastic success on it. And I mean, I could just go across the globe. I mean, it's everywhere that everyone's doing it. Just crazy success.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, we've talked about food and diet. I mean, how much would you say the, uh, it's hard to carve out how much of, of your success has been a matter of diet versus exercise. Um, Maybe kind of talk more about the exercise piece. You, You talk about, Walking, I, I very intentionally went for about a 35-minute walk this morning. Um, I'm at 5,400 steps for the day. Um, okay. I've got a home office day, which is fairly sedentary. So uh, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts here on, on exercise? So I think
1: exercise is really important, but if I was beyond, I'm at 10, almost 10,000, 9,500 today. So what I would tell you is that if I was to be completely candid with you, it's 80% diet, 20% exercise. Now, To be toned like I am and to be athletic the way I am now, like I show in the front of the cover, there's a fair amount of exercise in there. But at the end of the day, I strip the fat off of me. And you do that in large measure through diet. And the biggest component of the diet is not the good stuff, even though the good stuff is really, really, really important that you eat the good stuff. It's more important, the 80-20 rule, that you cut out. All the bad stuff. That's the kicker. Because most people, like me, for fifty-four years, would have, if you would have told me if I would have described how I eat prior to Lean Health, I would have said I eat really well. I eat lots of fruits and vegetables. I eat fish and chicken. I don't drink any soda. You know, I don't. I don't. We don't have any chips in the house. We don't have any of the typical things that make you fat in mm-hmm. the house. Mm-hmm. But we had plenty of things in the house that were not positive and that did undermine the positive stuff we did it is the cutting off of the bad stuff that had the biggest effect and then when you focus on the good stuff fruits and vegetables and and uh, fish and chicken nuts and things like that oh my gosh it's supercharging. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah um would you say i i'm just out of curiosity uh back to the uh, the diet thing before i'd like to talk about the book and uh, you know the process for bringing that Um, How close is what you're doing to a quote-unquote paleo diet that focuses on things that are very natural, meat, vegetables, nuts?
1: You know, I, I, I think it's very close. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm ignorant. I don't even know absolutely emphatically what the paleo diet is. Uh, but it sounds similar from what you're describing. I haven't looked into that, to be honest with you. I, I,
0: My understanding of it is that it's just, you know, think of what a caveman would have had right. available back in the day. If you can grow it or kill it or pick it from a tree as sure. opposed yeah. to opening a box out of your freezer. Then they're very much the same. Yes, yeah. they're very okay. much the same. So, um, you know, I'm curious to, to, you know, for you to talk about the book because, you know, for anyone who who's tuning in and thinking, okay, well, you know, Paul is trying to be, uh, one of these, you know, TV gurus and, and make a lot of money here. You know, Paul, for, for people who don't realize, is making the book Lean Health freely available as a PDF, freely available as an audiobook on YouTube. Um, so, you know, Paul, um, you know, I admire you for, for for doing that. But can you talk a little bit kind of more generally about the publishing process, different decisions that you made in terms of E-book, physical book, audio book. This is a lot of time that that you've put into this project.
1: Huge amount of time and huge amount of money. So, you know, my uh, quick synopsis of my philosophical perspective is, you know, I'm an American. I'm very lucky to be an American. I'm very lucky to have the opportunities that I've had in life. I built a very successful company with a lot of help from a lot of people. And my goal and what gives me the greatest satisfaction in life is giving back. So we've made 98% of everything we do with Lean is free. Our videos are free. We don't want your email. We don't care about anything. If you want to learn, we're happy to teach you. So we've extended that philosophy to Lean Health as well. You know, it, it didn't, I didn't write the book to make money. I wrote the book to help people and change people's lives as my life was changed. So as you said, you can go to our website and you could download the MP3 file for free. You can download the uh, PDF version for the Kindle, for the uh, iBooks, and you can get everything for free. Or you can go to Amazon and buy it if you want. You can go to Audible and buy it. You can do whatever you want, but it's available everywhere. You don't have to spend a dime. We don't want your email. You don't have to register to do anything. Just go for it.
0: Uh, in, in terms of um, the physical book, um, you know, just kind of curious, you know, do you hire an editor? Do you hire some of the typesetting, you know, in, in the world of self-publishing, which is something I've been very interested in, you know, quote unquote, self-publishing doesn't mean necessarily you do all of the work yourself. You can hire contractors to design a cover and, 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 and do the layout and get the books physically printed. Um, can you talk about some of the choices that, that you went through, um, you know, in terms of actually bringing this physical book to be? Sure. Well, you know, I'm a lean maniac, and I try to apply
1: lean to everything in my life. And I applied it to the how I've written both books uh, lean health was probably the best example so far. To write a book of this magnitude in eight weeks is unprecedented. I don't know if anybody's done that. I'm sure somebody has, but I, I don't know of anyone that has. And so basically, what I did was very simple. I uh, don't like to type. I'm not a good speller. So I took my iPhone because it's the most powerful tool in the whole world. And I opened up the audio app on it, the audio memo app. And I walked down the road and I recorded. I, first, I did an outline of the, of the book in about five minutes with Paloma and Alex in Baden-Baden, Germany that night. And then every day after that, I walked down a road in Thailand because that's where I took the time to write the book. And I walked down a road, a deserted road, and I just spoke my thoughts about every chapter. I sent it to a service called Scribe for You. Scribe for You transposed my thoughts. Mm. I took it back. I took a look at it, kind of made my little changes, made sure it made sense. Sent it to an editor. Will kind of tweaked it and made it even make more sense. And then my wife and Lori Turley, my assistant, uh, they tweaked it a little bit further I gave it to my graphic design department in-house. They laid it all out in a book. And then I went to Greg Otterholtz and Greg and I sat in his studio and recorded the book in two weeks. I mean, two days. Did the audio book in two days. And that was the process. And we did everything lean, 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 lean. Crazy lean, crazy fast.
0: When you manage a project like this, when, when you are one person publishing one book, you can have flow. You know, In yeah, the process, uh, you know, a publisher um, and, and I've had books published through traditional publisher. Um, I don't mean to bash them, but the reality is, you know, they are a big company working on lots of different books, lots of different projects, lots of different people. And it seems like a lot of time the focus is on keeping uh, individual people busy instead of focusing on flow. And so as lean thinkers, we realize you need to focus on the flow, the end-to-end flow. Sometimes that means a machine or a person isn't going to be 100% utilized, but you get better results and I think in most cases better profitability uh, by, by having that focus on flow. That That's something you've focused on quite a bit there at FastCap,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's everything, and one piece flow is really the quintessential element of all that so like i said i i did a chapter sent it to scribe for us they sent it back to me i sent it to the editor the chapter was essentially done then did another chapter sent it to the scribe for you then the editor and the chapter was done so we didn't have this gigantic batch work so it was very manageable and we understood whether or not we were getting a good result early on we didn't wait till we had the whole batch and all the defects were there and go oh we wish we would have done that differently and that's why lean is so powerful. That's why I'm a lean fanatic because when you apply lean principles of one piece flow, just in time, you know, reducing batch sizes and understanding where the waste is, the non-value and the value. When you understand these principles and you apply them, they don't give you a good result. They give you an outrageous result and that yeah. applies to anything.
0: Well, and I'm, I'm smiling here because what I hear you saying, Paul, is that your batch size was a chapter. You would do a chapter, send it along, You were working on another chapter while they were transcribing. Absolutely. So
1: there's no batch work. It was all done. The document was like being done as we were going. It was incredible.
0: Yeah. And and, in traditional publishing, their batch size is book, not chapter. So it's like, do you want me to send you the first four chapters and you can start working on it? And they're like, no, batch size is a book. Now, I I can understand they're probably trying to uh, prevent rework by having the batch be – book instead of chapter but it it does institute just huge delays you know I I submitted my manuscript uh, for the third edition of lean hospitals to my publisher on November 1st I think the actual printed book is supposed to be available by uh, by June which is about eight months and my, my wife and I are having a house built I think the house Construction—it's going to come in right about eight months. Building a house may actually be faster than going from manuscript to to printed book. And, and there's no reason for it. And, and there's
1: it absolutely no reason for it.
0: There's—it's the batches. I mean, I think it's totally explained by the batches. And we've got a question here from uh, your your friend George. And how do you pronounce it? Tr- Tr- Trichili- Trichilius, I think. Trichilius. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've maybe both. Butchered his name, but hi, George. Um, His question here is, at what point in time, Paul, do you convert your coaching style from a positive, encouraging approach to, quote, for the love of God, man, just do it uh, type approach? Well, you know, I do that
1: when I feel like people are wasting my time. So, you know, I can be very gentle and very nice and say, hey, you know, come on, do it, do it, do it. But when I feel like you're just making excuses for the sake of making excuses, I'm going to say, for the love of God, get with the program. You know what I mean? I'm just like, done. Mm-hmm. My time's valuable. And that's an important concept of being a lean thinker. You understand that time is limited and you, you don't want to waste it. And so I, I can get pretty, uh, pretty abrasive with people <laughs> if I need to be.
0: Yeah. Because, you know, I'm thinking about, again, like, you know, some of these mental choices and, and decisions you're talking about in terms of, um, let, let, let me personalize it. And I'll just say, for example, like, you know, I probably, I probably eat uh, too much wheat. You know, I, I, I would probably, like you, Paul, say, well, yeah, you know, I'm not eating tons of bread every day. And I don't eat pasta every day. Exactly but, what I did. You know, there, uh, so I'm probably making some of those same excuses. And, yeah, you know, I, I might, you know, part of me says, okay, yeah, I need to uh, reduce my carbs in general. I think, you know, when I've lost five or 10 pounds uh, in the past, and I'd like to, I'd like to lose some weight um, this year, 10, 15 pounds. Um, I know for me, at least in my body, carbs and weight, there's a big connection there. So uh, I've been reading recently, there's a um, you know, school of, of psychology and therapy um, called in, uh, motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. and they talk about, uh, you know, it's people who have addictions, and the problem with change or trying to get someone off an, ad- an addiction, whether it's food or, or something, you know, illegal, uh, is that people can say mentally, logically, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll bring it back to carbs, okay, I, I need to eat fewer carbs, and I would like to do that. But then the balance, the flip side. So like, you know, the angel on my shoulder is saying, Yeah, I want to do this. The devil on my other shoulder says, Oh, but that sandwich is going to be really tasty. And mm-hmm. you know, look at that ice cream. And, you know, so there's 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 you know, there there's a benefit. I guess there's um this is the problem that they're they're trying to break through with the addiction counseling, is that people feel um ambivalent to change. Yeah, I want to, but mm-hmm. you know, I shouldn't do that, but you know, there's there's pleasure. Or short-term benefit from it, and so this motivational interviewing approach is trying to get people to spend more time articulating why they should change instead of, you know, talking about why I don't have to or the excuses. Which I, I, I know anyway. I thought you you would find that approach interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know if I would agree with it. I think there are elements of it that make a lot of sense. I think you must understand who your enemy is. And I came to great clarity about who my enemy was. And my enemy is processed food. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have, I mean, I'm being honest with you. I'd be lying to you if I told you the other way. There is no devil on my shoulder that's saying, that would be really good. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's on my shoulder is this, Mark. I love this. This is going to make Paul kick ass. And this is what I eat. The other stuff will destroy me. It destroyed me for 54 years. There is no temptation. So I have a clear picture of who the enemy is, and I have a clear picture of who my friend is. And it becomes very easy when you have that level of definition to
0: what you're doing. And I, I do not have a bowl of fruit that I can grab uh, right. inside of the conversation. So it gives me something to think about, too. Um, we've got another question here, and then we will, we'll go ahead and wrap up in a few minutes. Um, question that came in, um, uh, what percentage of your, of your own employees at FastCap are now following this? Is there a distinction in different age groups that have taken it on? Um, Ash or a- Ashley? Uh, from the UK? asked that question.
1: That's a very good question. So if I was to tell you the exact number, I can't tell you the exact number, but I would say right now, 20 to 30% of them are doing it. Hmm. Probably the most encouraging results that we've had is my wife has been overweight and struggled with her weight her entire life been very, very difficult. And she's done everything imaginable to lose weight and failed. And she has lost 23 pounds now. And that is, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm shell-shocked. I can't even believe that she's been this successful. And, you know, one of the battles that I battled as, you know, husband and wife is, you know, get the crap out of the house. And, you know, we fight. Oh, no, it's okay to have a little bit of this. And, and I don't know, I, I think what happened was, and this is a powerful concept, is if you set a good example, I don't want to say good, if you set a great example in life, it becomes compelling to the people around you. Mm-hmm. And I think my wife was, uh, you know, I don't know what she'd say if she's sitting next to me right now. But I think she was so blown away by the results I was getting that she could not argue with me anymore mm-hmm. about the dilatorious effect that this processed food was having on us. Yeah. And she cut it off. And she's doing incredible.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. And I'm sure there's, you know, kind of mutually
1: supportive Sure. Oh, no, she does an awesome job. I mean, we had great food every night because she makes amazing food every night. We had squash last night. We had broccoli with some Parmesan on top of it. And we had tilapia. And it was like mm. crazy, ridiculously good. I never, And this is another thing I always talk about. I never have a bad meal. I never overeat. I, I don't even know. I spent my whole life overeating and eating bad meals that I shouldn't have eat, eaten. Mm. And now every meal is perfect because we're, we're, we're very clear on what the goal is.
0: Yeah, we got another question here uh, from... Matt, uh, hi Paul, I know you travel a lot. I find uh, when I travel, sometimes I need to compromise my diet to suit what's available on a tour to breakfast, et cetera. I understand understand that challenge too, Matt. um, How do you deal with this when you travel, Paul?
1: So, well, I lay that out in the book pretty simply. First of all, uh, you know, traveling is easy for me. Uh, general rule of thumb is every time I travel, I lose weight. I don't gain weight. I used to always gain weight, now I lose. And so, I do that because I always have a minimum of maybe two to three, maybe sometimes four apples in my backpack at all times. Okay, so if I ever get hungry, I've got a delicious piece of fruit. I always have three apples with me, minimum in my backpack. I always have a bag of unsalted nuts with me. So I'm prepared if I get hungry so I can always eat quality food anywhere I am. The second thing I do is when I go to breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I'm always looking for the fruits and vegetables, the fish and chicken, you know, those kinds of things to eat. And I don't eat anything else other than those things. The third thing I do is I tell the people that I'm going to visit. I'm very picky about my, my food. You don't have to make anything special for me, but I only will eat fruits and vegetables, fish and chicken. And they seem to be overwhelmingly willing to accommodate what I want. And they actually get caught up in what I'm doing and do the same thing because they feel so much better. So I'm very deliberate mm-hmm. about my diet.
0: Yeah. Okay, last question and we'll, we'll wrap up here, Paul. Um, question from George again. What's your next challenge? Well, the most important
1: challenge is this book and the wide adoption of the concepts in it globally. So that is my big challenge. How do I get millions of people to understand the power and simplicity of what I'm talking about in lean health? And that is my number one focus. And beyond that, my goal has been to change the world by teaching lean to a country working directly with the head of state. So that's my big, hairy, audacious goal. Specifically, the next two years, I'm going to be focusing pretty heavily on lean health and and getting the word out.
0: Yeah, well, that's great, Paul. Well, thank you so much for uh, being a guest here on the first live YouTube broadcast that I've done. I will probably lick my wounds and do a bit of a, a retrospective and and uh, probably try this again at some point with lessons learned. But um, Thank you for your patience as I figure out the technology. And um, I'll again admit to the audience here, a lot of the problems here were uh, user error. So I need to uh, reflect on that and think about that. But I will make uh, the, the video, warts and all, will be out there on YouTube. I'm going to take an edited version and, and publish that as an audio podcast. And uh, for those of you who would like to hear Paul's previous podcasts and other podcasts that I've done with A lot of really interesting people. You can go to leanpodcast.org. And again, my main website is leanblog.org. Paul, thank you so much for um, giving this a shot today and sharing your story. Yeah, my pleasure, Mark. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. This
1: has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org.